what you want said. And Jesus, build your church for the glory of your name's sake. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Wow. Praise the Lord, loved ones. Glad y'all came to sing tonight. Praise God. What a beautiful sound. Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And here we are in our series that we launched last weekend called Jesus Over the Church, Living in Uncommon Community. Jesus Over the Church, Living in Uncommon Community. Now let's make sure we do a little recap here so that we're all on the same page of what we're talking about when we say uncommon community. What does the Bible say the house of God, the house of the Lord, is to be in an uncommon community? You'll see it on the screen. Here it is. Write this down. Let's lock it in. God's people living out God's word together. That's a key word right there. Together by God's spirit for God's glory. God's people living out God's word together by God's spirit for God's glory. And so last week, as we launched into this series, we saw that an uncommon community lives with an uncommon endurance. And this week, we're going to see something absolutely crucial, that uncommon endurance, if we're going to live with that uncommon endurance, then it must flow from an uncommon focus. Living with an uncommon focus. Let me ask you a question today. Ready? Ready? Hey, kids, eyes up here. I got a question for you. Watch this. Ready? Here it is. Where's your focus today? Where's your focus? Where is your focus? What are your eyes? What is your mind focused on right now? What goal is the main goal that you're moving towards? What is that for you? You see, you may say, well, why is that so important? Why is that question so crucial to our life in Jesus Christ and living out our faith? Because here's, here's the crucial piece. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Your focus determines your direction. Your focus determines your direction. My focus determines my direction. Okay, what do we mean by this? Let's give an illustration, okay? So this past summer, I don't know of how many of you tuned into this, but if you remember, it was the Summer Olympics, all right? Summer Olympics, and I loved, I loved the Olympics, but the, but the events for sure that are my favorite are track and field. Track and field, right? 100-meter sprint, 4 by 100 relay, 200-meter sprint, all of these things. So I love grabbing the family together, and we watch the track and field. And I used to coach track and field, and so there's a few things you need to understand if you're going to be successful at track and field. Number one, when a sprinter gets into the starting block, look at that picture on the screen. When you get into the starting block, your eyes are focused forward. What are you looking at? You're looking at the finish line. 
You're looking at where you need to head. And then, as you're down in your stance and you hear the starting pistol, those first 20 meters are called your drive phase, where your head is down, your center of gravity is low to the ground, and you're accelerating. That's called your drive phase. But guess what happens after the first 20 meters? Guess where your eyes go again? Head up. Head up, you'll see it right on the screen. There they go. Head is back up, and you are focused on that finish line. You're not running beside that next person, looking to them and saying, hey, you want to go for a burger afterwards? You're not doing that. You're not looking at, hey, is my mom in the stands? Where is she? You're not doing that. Because you know what happens? When, when a runner takes his eyes off the prize, off the focus that he's supposed to have, he starts to go in that direction. You're looking this way. You're going over here. You look this way. You're going over here, and you're going to cut into someone else's lane. The first rule of track and field is don't take your focus off the end goal. Now, some of you may not be track athletes here, and you're like, hey, that, that illustration doesn't resonate for me. Okay, hey, if you've ever driven a bike, you ever driven a car, right, and you're driving along, <laughs> and you're looking in front, and all of a sudden you see your friend, See your friend on the, on the shoulder of the road over there? You see your neighbor passing by? Hey, 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 that's so-and-so. There goes, you know, and, and you start veering out of your lane. Why? Because your focus determines your direction. And here's the truth. You and I need to focus. We have to focus on where we want to go to persevere and finish the spiritual race that is given to us by Jesus Christ faithfully. Where's your focus? See, because here's the problem. I think you'll understand. You'll see it even right now from that opening illustration. Um, often we live with the wrong focus, don't we? Maybe just me. Often we live with the wrong focus. See, even as Christians loved ones, instead of looking to and focusing on Jesus Christ and focusing on knowing him and growing in him and glorifying him and running the race that he has set before us, what do we do? Where's our focus? We focus on and live for lesser things. We make them the end goal. What are we talking about? Money. That's a big one driving our society today. How about this? Our job, our job's the end goal. Get up the corporate ladder, get there as soon as possible. There's my focus. There's the direction that I'm, how about this? We focus on ourselves. I'm the focus of me. My control over situations. That's what I'm gonna focus on. I don't like discomfort, I gotta control it. My convenience, my comfort. And what's the result? We fall into this common cycle. You see it all the time. The common focus leads to the common cycle. You'll see it on the screen. Number one, what happens? We get distracted from Jesus. It leads to distraction from Jesus. Write this down. This is so crucial right here. Distraction from Jesus. Our eyes come off him. And what does that lead to? It leads to a disinterest. See that right there? Disinterest in Jesus. My focus is over here. So instead of pursuing Christ, I'm going to pursue this. There I go. There I go. Jesus is over here. It leads to a disinterest. You know, I'll get back to Jesus when it's convenient. I'll get back to prioritizing what he calls me to prioritize when it's convenient for me to do so. I'm just going to focus on myself over here for a while. There's a disinterest that happens 
in the things of the Lord. And what does that disinterest lead to? Apathy. Apathy in our faith, complacency, and ultimately, you'll see it right there, it leads to deception. When the distraction from Christ happens, the disinterest starts to happen, and here comes the deception. We start to take on the values, attitudes, priorities, and we're going to be like, actually, this sounds really good. Yeah, you know what? Sure. And we'll just water down the gospel a little bit, and we'll be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to take this value on. I'm going to take this priority on. And what does that lead to? We start believing lies, and it leads ultimately to, you'll see it next, despair. Despair. I feel hopeless. Why? Because this didn't deliver what it promised. Wait, I've gone my whole life wanting a girlfriend, boyfriend, or a spouse, and then what? They're not perfect? What? They, what, they don't meet my need, every need? What? They get, they get older? It's not satisfying. Well, no kidding. Because you took your eyes off the only one who can satisfy you. So it leads to this hopelessness, despair, and ultimately, what does that lead to? Look at the finished product here of the common cycle. Defeat. Living defeated. Well, nothing will satisfy, and, and oh, you know what? I'm, I'm too far gone. And this is exactly what the Hebrew church is facing here in, in the book of Hebrews. They're facing this defeat. Their eyes have come off Jesus, and now they're putting it on other things to deliver them. But hey, can I just encourage you with this? This is the all-too-common cycle, and I bet there's not a person in this room who cannot identify with at least one of those categories along that cycle. But can I encourage you with this, loved ones? Ready? Say this with me. Jesus has a better way. Go. Jesus has a better way. He's got an uncommon way that we don't see in this world he's got an uncommon one that leads not to distraction okay we're gonna go the other way ready you see it on the screen leads not to distraction but it leads to focus it leads to a life of focus on him and then as our life is focused as our mind as our eyes are focused on him it doesn't lead to disinterest in the things of God I don't need to get in the word of God I got more important things no 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 here's what it leads to fervency fervency, passion, urgency in our faith. And then as we grow in that fervency, it doesn't lead us further into deception. It leads us to truth because we're so passionate. We are hungry for God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It is the bread of life for me. And then as a result of standing on the truth, we, don't, we aren't led to despair, but we're led to increasing faith. The life of faith as we stand on what is true by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what does that lead to? It doesn't lead to defeat. It leads to perseverance and victory in Jesus' name. There it is. And here's the big idea we must understand today, right now. Ready? To persevere in faith, our focus must be on Jesus. There's the big idea. There's the big idea. To persevere in faith, our focus must be on Jesus. If we are going to finish the race faithfully that he has given to us, our focus must be on Jesus. So let's go. Here in our text, two essential truths we must believe and live out in Christ's power by faith. You ready for a faith boost today? Let's go. If we are to live as the uncommon community with the uncommon focus Jesus calls us to, persevering in faith, and seeing his presence, power, 
and glory in and through his church. You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hope Bible Church Ottawa, let's read this together. Kids, let's go nice and loud. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word and read it together. Let's go. Ready? Jesus, founder and perfecter of our faith. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him enduring the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see right out of verse 1 is this. To persevere in faith, we must have an uncommon focus. We must have an uncommon focus. And what's our focus got to be? Number one, running the race with determination. There's the focus. Running the race with determination. Christian, good news for you today. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, remember that God is faithful. Christian, maybe some of you are in this room, you're like, I just need to hear that today. I'm good for the next week. Christian, remember that God is faithful. Will you run with determination? Let's get our context. Here we are, first century, 70 AD. We don't know the author of Hebrews. But we, we do know that they're writing to the Hebrew church. A church is made up of Jewish Christians. We don't know where this, where this church is located. But what we do know is this. What is evident from the letter is that this church is in danger. It is in danger of, because persecution is increasing. Persecution is intensifying from the Jews coming against it. Now, this church, this Hebrew church, is made up of believers who were feeling, ready, see if you can identify with any of this, fearful, weary, anxious, and tempted to cast aside their identification with Jesus and his church and not persevere or endure in their faith following him, but instead, here's what they're tempted to, they're tempted to run, to run back to the Old Testament sacrificial system and the rituals of the Jews to save them, keeping keeping holy days, dietary laws, all of these things, putting their salvation based on their works. But I love how the writer of Hebrews sets this up. It's chapter 12. He's just gone through chapter 11. In chapter 11, he's just provided a list of examples of faithful men and women in the Old Testament who persevered in their faith in the trials they faced. That's why their chapter 11 is commonly referred to as the chapter of the heroes of the faith. It's the hall of faith, all right? And so the writer is using them as a basis for urging, urging the readers to press on and remain faithful to Jesus in uncommon community with an uncommon focus. Look at the text. Let's go. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, here's the picture. Here's the picture. Remember we saw that that, um, track and field picture? This is the picture of the race. 
that the, that the writer is writing about. Believers, he says, brothers and sisters in Christ, all true Christians are like athletes in a stadium. The picture is in a race in a stadium, only it's not some physical race like you saw earlier. It's a spiritual race. There's a spiritual race that we are in, and the stadium, look at the picture. Picture this. You're in that stadium. You ever been in that stadium when there's just thousands upon thousands of fans all around? The stadium, though, is filled with Old Testament saints who have gone before us. They're all sitting there. They've gone before us. That's the picture right here the cloud of witnesses. And he says this. Here's, how, here's what he writes in verse one. Therefore, believers, you who are weary, you who are anxious, you who are fearful, discouraged, you who are tempted to doubt, here, here's what he says, ready? In light of the faithfulness of God that you have seen and heard about through the lives of the faithful saints in the past, chapter 11, In light of that, press on in the faith. Press on in the faith. Keep running the race. Hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to his word. He says this. There is a cloud of witnesses. Circle the word witnesses. That is such a key word. Here's what that means in the original language. It means a large multitude, a numberless throng. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of saints who've gone before you. Just picture that. A numberless throng that is surrounding us, that is surrounding us, and whose lives of faith that you just read about, they encourage us to live by faith and press on just as they have. Just as they have, they have gone before you, the writer says. They have gone before you and I today. And they are eyewitnesses to the faithfulness, the goodness, the trustworthiness, the love, the power, and the glory of God. They are eyewitnesses. They have gone before you at, and they are eyewitnesses to these works of God at all times and in all things. And they are now in heaven. They are in the presence of God. Listen to them, loved ones, saying, it is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Right now. They declare that. He said, he said let God's work in their lives inspire and encourage you to press into the Lord and press on no matter what you're facing. Now you may say this, okay, who are some of these people that he's talking about? Let's get a little snapshot of Hebrews 11, okay? Number one, in verse seven, he mentions Noah. Hebrews 11, verse seven, he mentions Noah. There it is, he's picture of the ark right there, right? Now, let's get, you go back to Genesis six, let's get a picture of why Noah's listed in the heroes of faith. Noah, hey, man, we think we, we have a huge issue when we're outnumbered in our workplace. We're like one of the few Christians, right? Guess what? <laughs> we look at Genesis 6. Noah was the only man on earth who loved God. The whole world was corrupt. Noah's the only one. He's the herald of righteousness. 
And he was told by God, think about this. He was told by God to build an ark because a flood was coming. Hey, hey, even when there was no indication it was coming. It's like, hey, where's the deluge, God? If I start to see that coming, then I'll put it together. There was nothing. He was told the flood is coming. The word of God is true. And so what did Noah do as a result of this? He labored faithfully. Listen, not for like a week, because we can often say, okay, I've worked so hard this week, God. Where is your answer? Don't we like God to answer and fulfill his word a little faster than this? It's like, man, I've worked for two days. How much longer, man? And I've worked for a few years. Aren't you going to fulfill it? Hey, guess what? Noah worked for decades. Decade after decade after decade. Most scholars think 75 years. We like 75 minutes, don't we? Noah labored for 75 years until the call of God on his life was fulfilled. But God was faithful to his word. And we could say, man, how long? 75 years by most scholars' accounts. Decades. And think about what's happening in those 75 years. They see this ark being built of gopher wood, and he's the only righteous man on earth. Do you think he was getting some dissension from the rest of the world? You're a fool, Noah. You're wasting your time. What are you doing there? God's not going to fulfill what he has for you. God's not going to fulfill his word. It's been 20 years. And then 10 years. It's been 30 years. It's been 40 years. And Noah's still hammering. Suffering the ridicule of those around him. And notice this. Without a hint that a flood was coming. But God sustained Noah and Noah was faithful to his word. When, and when the ark was complete, God delivered. Ready for another one? This, is, this should inspire us right now. Anyone feeling inspired? Like, okay, I'm going to press on. All right, I'll give God another two years. Okay, cool. Right, listen, listen. Here we go. Next one. All right, what do they talk about next? Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 12. I love this. They obeyed God, here's this, ready? And they left their homeland with their family, not even knowing where they were going. God's like, hey, Abraham, I need you to pack up. I need you to start walking. I was like, great, where? Not telling. Just go. I love how Hebrews 11 said he didn't even know where he's going. But he's packing up his family. Think, think about this, right? It's hard enough to leave when you know where you're going, isn't it? To follow God's call on you, family, friends, relatives, comfort, convenience, all of this. He's like, I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. They can't even get a return address for you. And so Abraham and Sarah, they take off, not even know where they're going, and yet God led them. He led them, he provided for them, and he brought them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. And on top of this, guess what God does? He made Abraham another promise. What was it? You remember? That he would be the father of many nations. He would be the father of many nations. And what was God going to do? What did he promise Sarah? 
that he was going to give her power to conceive, even though, hey, just stack the odds a little more, Sarah was barren. She wasn't able, supposed to be able to have kids. Everyone say, but God. She wasn't even able, supposed to have kids. She's supposed to be barren. And even though, if that wasn't enough, I love how Hebrews 11 goes on to say, Abraham was as good as dead. That means he's not a young buck. Abraham's an old guy. And he's not supposed to be able to do this. He's as good as dead. Hey, I just want to encourage you. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. And what did God do? He was faithful to his word. He gave them Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, nation of Israel, father of many nations. Centuries passed. It's amazing. All right. Here's another one. One of my personal favorites. Ready? Moses. Moses. Anyone big fan of Moses? Praise the Lord. But check this out. Verses 23 to 29 in Hebrews chapter 11. God calls Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. But here's the thing about Moses. You remember this? He wasn't some like big time warrior. He wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to rally the troops. What's he doing? He's shepherding sheep for the last 40 years. That's what he's hearing. He's not really the creme de la creme in the leadership category. But God calls him. And, he, and Moses, on top of this, we're not, we're not exalting Moses over Jesus. We're exalting God through his life. Because here's how Moses responds to this. Moses gives God every excuse in the book as to why he didn't have to follow. Remember the burning bush? He says, he says, hey, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And uh, Moses says, in case you forget, I've got a bad reputation with the Egyptians. Remember they want to kill me? That's why I left in the first place. You want me to go back? No thanks. And God's like, I'll take care of that. And Moses is like, okay, well, second excuse. I can't speak well. I've got a stuttering problem. I'm not eloquent with my words. And you want me to go before the most powerful leader on earth? And God's like, I love this response. Here are the words of your sovereign creator. He says, who made your mouth, Moses? Like, what do you say to that? Like, who made your mouth? If I want you to go there, I'm going to make sure you've got what you need to do to get there and to be faithful there. Who made your mouth, Moses? And Moses is like, okay, wait a second. All right, so that excuse is gone. Well, I don't have any abilities. I don't have any power. And God's like, just throw down your staff. I'll show you. Put your hand in your coat, and I'll show you. Excuse gone. And then Moses finally gets to the root of the issue, and he says, and he says just send someone else. I just don't want to go. Anyone ever felt like that? When God calls you to obey, when God calls you something, you're like, I just don't want to go. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? See, but in the end, Moses followed God by faith. And what did he see? Oh, what did he see? The sea opened up. Ten plagues, the most powerful nation in the world, brought to ashes. Most powerful army in the world defeated. 
And then after they crossed into the wilderness of Sinai, God's day and night provision for two million people in the desert, literally water coming from rocks, manna coming from heaven, quail coming from heaven, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud for 40 years. All right, last one. We don't often think of this one. Samson. Samson, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Here's Samson, chosen by God as to be a judge for Israel in delivering the Israelites from Philistines. But what did Samson do? He rejected him. He rejected God. How do you say, well, wait a sec, why is he in the hall of faith? What's up with this? He rejected God. He turned away and he was brought to humiliation. God's plan B is our humility. God's plan A, excuse me, is our humility. God's plan B is humiliation to bring us back to him. Not out of to destroy us, but out of love for us. I'm going to take that away. I'm going to take that away because you keep going to there, it's just going to hurt you. And I love you too much. So what does he do to Samson? What does he allow by God's grace? Humiliation in a jail cell with no eyes. Samson had to lose his eyes to finally start seeing right. And yet, though Samson turned his back on God, you know, I love the story of Samson for this, this right here. He turned his back to God in faith. Hey, hey, but God never turned away from him. Does that describe someone in this room right now? Maybe you've turned your back on God in faith, but I want to tell you, brother or sister, God has not turned his back on you. You cannot outrun God's grace. The story of Samson is a story of God's redeeming grace. And Samson, we see that God's grace was so clearly seen when Samson turned back to him in faith. God gave him the strength to defeat the enemy. And he says there, the writer says, there is so many more, a numberless throng, a great cloud, all saying, keep going, loved one. Keep going. I know it looks dark out there. I know things may get hard, but keep going. Press on. Run the race. I know it can get hard, but God is faithful and he's worth it all. Amen? Amen. And as I look around this room today, I see there's another group of witnesses here that can testify to the faithfulness of God, that can testify to the grace of God, and the love of God, of how he's provided for and sustained and carried and protected them. The uncommon community of the saints. Don't forsake meeting together. Christian, remember that God is faithful. Hey, question, will you run with determination? Will you run with determination? And you may say, well, what does determination look like? What does this actually look like practically? Okay, go back to the text. It's right here. Verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we see two things here. Number one, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Circle the term lay aside there. We need to lay aside the hindrance. And what that means is this. Put off, renounce, or give up. Put off, renounce, or give up. See, again, the athletic metaphor. In the Greek athletes, when they were training, athletes were to remove 
every piece of unnecessary equipment. Remove everything. Leave the bare essentials only. See, and now here, we're in the spiritual race. Here's what it means. We see two things we got we to gotta put off. We got to lay aside. Notice this. What does it say? Lay aside every weight. Wait, what is he talking about here with weight? These are the things, loved ones, these are the things that are not necessarily sinful, but they're not helpful in your discipleship and your discipleship of others. Not necessarily sinful, but they're not helpful. You say, what, what are some examples of this? They're not helpful in us growing in Christ's likeness. Here's one. Here's a big one. It goes right in line with the text. Distractions. It's time to lay aside the distractions. Like this. Got thinking about this. You know, <clears throat> call me old school if you want. But <laughs> I remember when, you, you know, you used to have to flick the channel on the TV because you didn't have remotes. You'd actually have to get up and turn it. And you only had a few stations. Well, now you've got Netflix, Prime, Disney+, Plus, CBC Gem, yada, yada. You know, you know way more than I do. And here's the thing about that. You don't even have to push the button to get to the next episode. It just rolls right into it. Now, I got nothing against watching a healthy show. I'm not, God's not calling us to live under rocks as Christians. Okay? But how's the binge watching going? Just rolling into the next show. Just uh, focused, mind numbing, episode after episode after episode. Or how about this? Right here. We take out our phone. We just scroll, like this action right here, you know? You know that one? Sometimes it goes the other way, right? Right? Okay, sure, take a few minutes, check the news, check your social media, then lay aside the weight and pick up your Bible. Make the telephone call to a brother or sister in Christ. You got the phone in your hand anyway. Phone your brother or sister in Christ and pray with them. Here's another one, here's another one. How about our hobbies and our jobs? I got nothing against jobs. God's got nothing against jobs. He loves work, work's a gift. But is your, are your hobbies, is your job in its proper place? The Lord get hey, here's another one. How we sleep. So often we're burning the candle at both ends. Psalm 127 says he gives sleep to those he loves. He gives rest. Taking sleep is an act of faith to say, I'm not God. He is, and he's going to care for me. And then you stay up so late, and you're so tired, you can't get up in the morning and get your God time, and then you're cramming all that. Is it at its proper place? How about, how about our eating habits? Are we eating for the long haul? Are we eating for the glory of God? Or is it just stuff, stuff, got to find my satisfaction and comfort in this when, when it's taking God's place? Do we need to throw aside that weight? We need to lay that aside? Our speech, how about this? We talked last week about Ephesians 4.29, that whatever's supposed to come out of our mouth is supposed to be used for building up the body of Christ, giving grace to those who hear, as fits the occasion. But how's our speech? Is it helpful in someone else's discipleship? 
Is it growing us and them in godliness by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or is it grumble, complain, sarcastic, demeaning, laughing at another's expense? It's time to lay aside the weight, loved ones. What weight do you need to shed? What weight do you need to shed? Here's the second thing we've got to lay aside, right from the text. You see, lay aside every weight, and then what? And sin that clings so closely. And sin that clings so closely. And what that means is sin easily ensnares. Listen, can I just encourage you with this, loved ones? We don't play around with sin in our lives. We don't take it out for a walk. We don't give it a little treat. We don't pat it on the head and say, I've got this. John Owen said this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It will be killing your focus, your love for the Lord. It will be growing cold. Your heart, your conscience will be increasingly cold to the sensitivity of the spirit. It's a major burden in the spiritual race and we must contend with it daily. So let me ask you a question. Or let me say this first just in case we're not 100% clear. You'll see it on the screen. Sin will never lead you to look more like Jesus. There's the truth. So simple, so clear. You see, and you can say this. What I'm engaging in right now will not lead me to look more like Jesus. My eyes are coming off him. What sin? Here it is. Here's a question. What sin do you need to lay aside and cast on the Lord? Confess and repent. Shed the weight, no more excuses. Shed the weight, no more excuses. Yeah, but, yeah, but this, or th- they didn't do what I wanted the way I want. No more excuses. Lay aside the sin that easily ensnared, the love for self, the grumbling, the addiction, no self-control, no contentment, the pride, the unbelief, and you say, where do I even start? Here it is, ready? Just pray this, pray this right from Psalm 139, 23, 24. Say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me. I'm humbling myself on you. Search me. Test my anxious thoughts and see where the offensive ways are in me and lead me in the path everlasting. And yes, I have that memorized because I need to pray that every day. We're so prone to wander. And if we don't, we won't endure faithfully and our love for Christ will grow cold. All right, so there we go. We put off, we lay aside the hindrance, but how do we run with perseverance? Watch this, watch this. Here it is. We run ahead with endurance. Running the race. Lay aside the hindrance and then run ahead with endurance. Go back to verse one. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Here it is. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run with endurance. The word run there means to, ready? Advance speedily. No apathy, loved ones. Uncommon community does not live in apathy. It's like advance speedily. Make progress with full effort. See, here's, here's the thing. As Christians, we are not called to passively endure. Just like, okay, I'll just kind of endure when things go on. Things are going to happen, what they're going to happen. We are not called to passively endure. You see, the Old Testament saints that we just heard from in Hebrews 11, they were commended for their active faithfulness. 
They were commended for their active faithfulness. And, and it says, and, and let us run with endurance the race. You know what the word race means there in the original? Here it is. It's where we get our English word agony from. Agony. We get agony from that. It means this. Let us run with endurance the struggle or the fight that is set before us. Hey, can I, can I just clear up any confusion on this? The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. End of story. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It is a battleground. There is a struggle. There is a fight, the good fight of the faith, as we see in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. And it says, run with endurance. What does endurance mean? Here it is. Steadfastness. Constant. Steadfast. Not all over the place, up and down, up and down, emotionally, steadfastness, constancy, patiently remaining under the challenges that God allows as he enables you. I love how one commentator put it this way. Endurance is a steady determination to keep going regardless of the temptation to slow down or give up. Regardless of the temptation to slow down or give up. And notice something? Go back to the text. God's word is so beautiful. Notice what it says in verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set. Circle the word set before us. Set. What does that mean? Hey, be encouraged with this, loved ones. Our race has been appointed and placed by God. Amen? There's nothing that's going to come into your life that God's like, oh, that's a surprise. I didn't see that coming. Your race, my race, is set, appointed by God. He knows where we are. He knows where we need to go to reach the goal of maturity, and he knows how to get us there. He is faithful. Hey, question, will you run with endurance? That determination. I might not see it. I might not feel it. I'm going to lay aside, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lay aside the weight and run with endurance. See, to persevere faithfully in our faith, we must have an uncommon focus and run the race. And if we are to run this race faithfully, it can be, seem kind of daunting, eh, loved ones? But watch this. We must be, final point today, looking to Jesus with exaltation. Looking to Jesus with exaltation. See, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hey, question confronting you and I today is this. Will you look to him? Will you look to him? Look at verse two. Let's go back to the text. Ready? Run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, here it is, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Awesome. The writer finishes by saying that if we are to run with endurance, it cannot be on our own strength. Isn't that good news? That's good news, loved ones. And as such, we must look to Jesus. The word look there, looking to Jesus, circle it. Here's what it means. To focus or fix our gaze upon. To look away from all else that would distract us and to look beyond our present circumstances to Jesus who is over them. Cool theme for the year, huh? Jesus over all. 
that he is preeminent in that. And what is said right here is crucial to understand. And here it is. I love one of my seminary professors, Dr. Moeller, said this at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. You'll see it on the screen. I'm so blessed by this. He said this. The great cloud of witnesses encourage and inspires us, but the one who keeps us in the race is Christ alone. Get the inspiration. Read the witness testimony. But remember, it's Christ alone who keeps you in the race. And you say, how does he do this? Right in the text. Let's go back. Two truths. How does Jesus do this? Number one, it says he is the, ready? The founder. Looking to Jesus, the founder of our faith. What does the word founder mean? It means this, author. He's the source of our faith. He's the foundation of it. He is the perfect example of faith. He is the leader. Think about this. Jesus Christ, he pioneered the way for others to follow. Isn't it amazing that we serve a God who has run the race before us and completed it perfectly? Isn't that awesome? Jesus lived the perfect life of faith, and it is from him that our faith comes from. And he is ready to give us all that we need at all times and in all things for the race ahead of us. So there it is. He's the author, but notice he doesn't stop there. Watch this. What else does it say he is? He is the, say it with me, perfecter. Perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? As mentioned, in every part of his earthly life, when Jesus Christ came as fully God and fully man to the earth, in every part of his earthly life, from the time he was the youngest child, I was talking to one of my boys about this the other day, like, man, you just think about that. When Jesus was your age, like he wasn't giving in to the petty arguments with his brothers. Think about that. He what, Jesus never disobeyed his parents. You think about that. Even from the very young age, fully God, fully man, Jesus lived by faith, perfectly obeying the Father's will, even to the point of suffering the most shameful and humiliating death one could. The death right there, you see it in the text on a cross to pay the penalty for the sin of the world. And what's the greatest penalty of sin? Separation from God for eternity in hell. And Jesus came and he paid that penalty for our sin. And yet, notice, notice what the text says. He despised the shame of the cross. The word despising there means Jesus thought little of it. It means he disregarded it. He thought little or nothing of it. Why? Where was his focus? Man, when you and I get into situations that we're not comfortable with, we're like, this is huge. This is huge. My eyes are focused right here. But notice where Jesus' focus was. The eternal perspective that you and I need to have. No wonder he's thinking so little of the cross because he's focused on what's ahead. He's focused on what's ahead of him. Just read the text. He looked beyond it. And as he looked at what was ahead... He saw the cross, the shame of the cross, the humiliation of the cross in view of the joy that was set before him. In view of the joy of heaven that awaited him when he would be exalted and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Loved ones, where is your focus? Are you looking to Jesus? See, Jesus was so focused. He was so focused on the delight of heaven that even a shameful Death on a cross couldn't touch it. And now, he's gone before us. And through his perfect work, he stands ready. Our savior, our champion of faith. 
he stands ready to open up the arsenal of heaven and give us all we need to see our faith brought to completion when we will stand with the great cloud of witnesses one day, seeing him face to face in heaven, and we will share his joy and be like him. Is it worth getting ostracized in your faith for that? Is it worth not getting on the invitation list with your coworkers or your classmates? Is it worth not getting the job because you took a stand for Jesus? Is our focus on the delight of heaven that is waiting for us, where it's little disregard the status in this world, I love this, Philippians 1.6. Paul writes, and I'm sure of this. That means it's a done deal. You'll see it on the screen. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, there's the promise, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The perseverance of the saints. Behold, right there, the perfecting work of Jesus. Think, I just want you to put yourself here. Everything you face right now, Whatever is in front of you this week, whatever hard discussion you need to have, whatever, whatever things you're tempted with facing, every trial, every situation, every temptation to fear, anxiety, discouragement, despair, every temptation to doubt or unbelief, hey, you be encouraged. If you are a child of God, Jesus has gone before you. Amen? Jesus has gone before you and has been tempted. Hebrews 4 has been tempted in every way you have been or will ever be and yet did not sin. He is the perfecter of faith and stands ready to give you all you need for life and godliness no matter what you face. And he is committed. You rest in his love, loved one. He is committed to your perfection which will be completed on the day he returns. Praise the Lord. See, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of faith. Question, are you looking to him? If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you say, how do I take my first step to running this race with endurance? Here it is. You repent, you turn from your sin and confess him as Lord and Savior, believing that he is the Lord of all, the only Messiah, and who alone can save and grant forgiveness and eternal life. And his word to you today is this. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. And believers, hey, question for us as we close out. Will you look to and exalt him at all times in all things? Through his word, standing firm in faith, upholding that, abiding with him in worship, in prayer, living with a deepening humility, teachability to his word, dependency, obedience, not trusting in yourself, but humbling yourself and desperately drawing near to him, crying out, Lord, I need you. Increase my faith. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I'm choosing to look to you in what I'm facing. I'm choosing to look to you, Jesus, and not myself. And not the attitudes or priorities of this world. I'm choosing to look to you in this health issue. I'm choosing to look to you by faith. Increase my faith because I'm so tempted to put my focus on these things and to become distracted. I'm choosing to look to you by faith in the midst of the depression. 
in the midst of the conflict that is in front of me, in the midst of this trial and this temptation, in the midst of this pandemic, I'm going to look to you in faith and stop pointing the finger and stop complaining and grumbling. I'm going to look to you, Jesus, by faith, but help me. Grant me the strength to look to you and follow you, knowing that you will be faithful and you will continually perfect the work you started in me. And hey, hey, can I encourage you with this? Can I encourage you with this? God always draws near to the desperate. God will always draw near. Next week, we'll hear more about this, the uncommon humility he calls us to live with. But God will always draw near to the desperate, but he will oppose the proud. Say, Lord, give me the desperation for you. The desperate who declare, Lord, I need you, and who choose to live with the uncommon focus, running the race with determination. Hey, parents, hey, parents, you keep going. You keep going. I know it's hard. I know it's hard sometimes. You press into the Lord, he will give you all you need to raise your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord, and you leave their salvation to him, but you be faithful to do your part, your God-entrusted part of raising up the next generation, and men in this church, you lead in that. Lead your families in God's word. Lead your wife in God's word, men. And you say, it's too daunting, I don't know what to do. Jesus is ready, he's gone before you. He's gone before you. Don't shy away from that. Run with determination. Say, I don't know what I'm doing when I open up God's word. Great news. Moses didn't know what he was doing, but God did. Amen. Go back to the heroes of the faith. Read it. Look how God provided. He will do the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Press on. Running with determination. I know as Christianity gets pushed outside to the margin of society, there's this temptation to fear. The word of God says otherwise. You press in. Our God is faithful. The greatest threat facing the church today is not its destruction. Jesus is going to build his church. He's going to take care of business. The greatest threat facing the church is its faithfulness. It's faithfulness. And I just said to the leaders in the back as we were praying, I don't want the, the ministry that God has entrusted to Hope Bible Church Ottawa to have to be given to some other church because we were faithful. Press in, loved ones. He is faithful. Press on, hold fast, run with determination. I know it's hard, but ask him for the faith. He's the author, the perfecter. He will do it. Looking to him with exaltation in his strength, his power, his word, his glory at all times and in all things. Our God is faithful. Your focus will determine your direction. Will you look to Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess as I preach this even so convicted how much I'm distracted and um, so tempted to, to doubt. I thank you for your patience with me. I thank you for your steadfastness and love for us that we cannot outrun your grace. And for that person who, who maybe was running well and, and they've got off track right now, I pray they would know, just like Samson was reminded of, Though he may or she may have turned their back on you, you have not turned your back on them. You are faithful. And I pray for those here that are just tempted to waver and doubt in your faithfulness. Lord, I pray you would stir them up right now. 
Jesus Christ, the source of our faith. We can't white knuckle this. We need you so much. Thank you for the uncommon community you are building here for the glory of your name. May we stir one another up to love and good deeds, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Eyes looking to Jesus. Eternal perspective, author, perfecter of our faith. Oh Lord, we need you. Hear the prayers of your people in Jesus' name. Amen.